Good morning, Five Stones Church. How are you guys doing? We're glad you're here. We're glad you're here in person or online, and we're glad that you're able to join us uh, and be a part of our service today. For those that are, are joining us, we are going through the book of Ephesians, and so our new sermon series is called Blessed Beyond Measure, and we're walking through the book of Ephesians and Last week, we started in uh, Ephesians 2, and this week, we're going to finish off Ephesians 2. And so, yeah, if you're joining us for the first time, that's, that's what we're doing. That's where, where we're at. Uh, we're going to go through this until Christmas. Um, and I love the book of Ephesians. I love the book of Ephesians because it is so, so personal in, in so many ways where it helps us find out who we are. But it not only does it help us find out who we are, it shows how God wants to bless us. How God wants us as his children and as, as his people, he gives us this set of, this is how we are to live. And so the book of Ephesians is one of my favorite books. It's one of the first books that I've studied as a new Christian. Uh, and this is some time ago now. Um, almost, almost 20 years ago now. And so, um, yeah, love this book. Growing up, I have a sister, for those that don't know. Um, my sister actually is part of Five Stones. Her name is Carmen. She w- used to run the, the kids' ministry here um, at Five Stones. Uh, she's actually my older sister, for those that don't know that. And even for those that do know that, most of you guys forget that she's my older sister because she looks 10 years younger than me. Uh, So she looks like she's in her 20s, but she's not. But growing up, for those that have had siblings growing up, you know you, you fight, right? You get into these little disputes, and when we actually played, most often we actually end up playing, we end up fighting after when we start playing. That's just very normal sibling rivalry, and I find that, um, so we'll, we'll, most of the time, I would say probably I started the fights, um, because I'm bugging her about something, you know, the little brother syndrome. Um, it's, it's, more, it's more fun to see your sister agitated than, than actually doing fine. Uh, so most of the time, I would say I started the fights, and then when we get into the fight, and it needs my parents to come and, and kind of end things, they always push for us to reconcile. They always push for us to come to a place of getting back together and reconciling with one another. And most often, as, the parent, as my mom and dad would push for us to, to get along again, they always require one of us, most often it was me, to say, I'm sorry. And for the most part, growing up, I always felt like the reconciliation is really just about apology, and it doesn't require a change of heart. As long as I apologize, I'm good. So to say sorry to my sister just became one of those things that it just became, she starts crying before my mom even comes, I'm like, I'm sorry, just so that you could get out of it. You know what I mean? It, it, It just became this reaction, but the reality of it was that in my heart, that apology was not sincere. 
It was all just an outward thing, just to finish the thing, just to finish the argument, finish whatever was, was happening in that moment. And it was just a band-aid to cover, cover it up. We currently live in some pretty interesting times. There is a lot of division um, in and amongst our society right now. We're living, in, in, we're living through the coronavirus, we're living through a pandemic. Um, we have the BC elections coming, so our news is bombarded with all the party news and, and, and don't vote for these guys, vote for us, don't vote for them. Uh, and then it's just like, where, where, where are your political allegiances? And so we see that there's a lot of division. And then when we look at our, our neighbors to the south, we see that there's even more division. And for those that tuned in this week to the presidential debates, I mean, it's all over the news. It's one of the most train wreck type experiences that you could see for any presidential debate in history right now, that you see that the country is divided. And on top of that, we have, we have all these other things where you're, you're forced to think about which side do I stand on. The whole aspect of BLM is still, still active and alive, and it's still there and presented in front of us. Um, so we have issues of all of these things being thrown at us, and sometimes it could get very exhausting. Because it, it forces us to be in a place where we have to choose a side. And while we're, we're looking at which side should we choose, you start to believe certain things and you start to take on certain things as you choose a side. I'm gonna use wearing masks, for example, because we're in a pand pandemic. Everybody needs to wear, wear a mask. I went to Starbucks this morning and um, it used to say mask suggested. Now it's, you go in the store, it's mask required, right? And so I, as I went in, um, I left my, my mask in the car because I just did a mobile order. I didn't think it'd be a big deal. I just run and grab it. They stop me. The barista's there know me pretty well. I mean, I've been going there for 10 years, right? And so um, they said, John, do you have a mask? I'm just like, oh, it's in the car, but it's a mobile order. They're like, no, you just need to put this on. And so I put it on. I'm waiting for my mobile order. Meanwhile, another gentleman comes in behind me. Same thing. They're like, oh, sir, you need to wear a mask. He's like, nope, I don't need to wear a mask. So you, you see that there's, there's already this division, and it's something as simple as wearing a mask. We have anti-maskers all over the place, and whether you're for mask or against mask, for those that are for mask, we're, we're saying collectively we need to protect each other and keep safe and, and do what the health authorities tell us. For those that are anti-maskers, they're saying, no, this, takes, this is against our freedom, this is against who we are, this is, this is an individual choice, and, and I mean... I've chosen a side, I'm a mask wearer, okay? Um, it's not about you, okay? This whole thing is not about you. This is a pastoral thing. It's not about you, this is about the collective. So wear a mask if you can. But we start believing certain things. So there's this group that's kind of spread across Canada, it's called Hugs Over Mask. And they've actually done protests actually here in, the, in, in Vancouver as well. And they're, they're basically anti-masters. 
and they start having this, this voice and this narrative in, the, in, in preaching that this is against our freedom. And then people start believing that this is against my freedom, so then they, they become even more violent towards wearing a mask. This is, has nothing to do with freedom. Okay, this is actually about freedom. Wearing a mask is about freedom. It's so that you can go out, you can be around people, that you can actually have a life. That's what this is about. But then when you start hearing some of this, this, this message that these groups are putting out, you start believing in those things, and those things start becoming a part of your identity. Here's the thing is that when you idolize something, when you start believing in something so strongly, you start idolizing that position, you start demonizing those that are opposed to it. So whether you believe you're right or whether you believe that the other person is right or whatever it is, whatever you start to idolize, you start demonizing the other. And so, for example, if you idolize your gender, you start demonizing the other gender. If you idolize your race, you start demonizing other races. If you idolize your culture, you start demonizing other cultures. If you idolize your nation, you start demonizing other nations. If you idolize your political party, you demonize the other political party. When we idolize, we are finding our identity and our tribe, then what we end up doing is we declare war on the other tribe, and that is the idolatry of identity. What Paul writes here in chapter two is behind all the things that we called racism, classism, and sexism, and the likes of those things. And so today, as we go into our scripture today, that's what we're gonna bring out. So let's pray. Father God, you are a good God. And Lord, that you have come to set something that is new. And when you have set that thing that is new, you have deemed that as your church. So Father God, as we sit here as your church, reading these scriptures, may you take this scripture and impart it into your church to do the things that you have called us to do as your church. So Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you that you are able to speak through us. Lord, may you use me as your mouthpiece to speak to your church and to speak to your people today. And Lord, may your message become an encouragement for the church to move forward. So Lord, we thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 11 and we're going to finish off the chapter here. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, please turn to that. I'm going to have the scripture on the screen as well. Um, So it starts off with this. It says this. Therefore, remember that at one time, Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at, at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promises, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, 
who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing walls of hostility. So this is, I need to give some background because for those that don't know the Bible well or don't know the history of where this is coming from, this is a very weird statement to start off with, right? Like, we're, we're talking about circumcision here. What does that mean? This is weird. What are the Gentiles? What are, the, what are we talking about here? So just to give us a little bit of context. So back in Israel, before Israel, um, if, we, if we look at the Israeli history, they're, they're, what, what are they called? They're called the Jews. Right. The Jews and the Gentiles, Gentiles are basically anybody that is not Jewish. Right? And so if you are Jewish here, then you're part of the chosen. If you're not Jewish by heritage, you are therefore a Gentile. And so this actually goes back to the days of Abraham. So when God, if you don't know this story, this story is in, is in the book of Genesis. So when God decided, I'm going to choose Somebody. So it's not like he, the, the, this is before the nation of Israel started. This is before Jews even existed. He said, I'm going to choose somebody that is righteous. And he found a man by the name of Abram, which later became Abraham, as his, his, the, the one that was righteous and the one that had faith. So God calls Abraham and says, I'm going to use you and I am going to form a nation out of you. A nation, so if you look at the stars, those are, that's how, how big I'm going to make your nation. And that's how this started. But if you look at what happened in this story is that Abraham had two wives, right? He had Sarah, which is his first wife and his real wife. And then you had Hagar, which is actually a servant girl. And out of the two came two sons, which then were split. So we have Isaac, which is the promised son, uh, and the reason why Abraham um, had Hagar, and, and, and that son is because Sarah was old in age and couldn't have any children, and so Sarah's like, well, if this is God's promise, I'm barren, I can't have any kids, then how are we going to have a family that's going to create a nation? Right, so Sarah goes, here, here's my servant girl, Hagar. Produce a son out of that, and out of that will come your nation. And so what, what they did there is they worked in, a, in their own accord, and they had this son, which his name was Ishmael. But God was saying, this is not the promised son that I wanted you to have. I have a promised son for you. His name is Isaac, and it's going to come through Sarah. And Sarah gave birth to Isaac at a very old age. Because God healed her womb and said, you are now no longer barren. Here is your son. And that became the chosen race. And Hagar and Ishmael was then banned. And if you continue, if you look through that lineage, that is a lineage that the Muslims come out of. Islam comes from the name Ishmael. Okay? And so there was a division that happened between the chosen race and those that are not chosen, known as the Gentiles. So this is something that has started very, 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 very early before Jews were even formed, before the nation of Israel was even formed. And so what happened here is that there 
caused a very, very strong division between the chosen people and the non-chosen people. In that, at that time, Abraham decided for those that are chosen that they get circumcised, and that was the outward appearance of what reflect, that, that reflected the inward aspect of that we are set apart for God. And so that's why for Jewish culture, from the very beginning of time, they started circumcising their children. They started circumcising the, their, their sons so that it became a physical mark that we are the chosen race over everybody else that is not part of this chosen race. Okay, so I just needed to give that historical context in case that some of us are coming in here new and says, what is this circumcision versus uncircumcision? This is weird. You guys, church people are weird. Yes, we are. Christians are weird. Yes, we are. Um, and you guys speak in weird languages. I'm trying to explain that weirdness to us so it's not so awkward. It's just like, uh, what is this circumcision thing? Okay. Are we good? Do we have that understood? So what is happening here is that there is a division in the church at Ephesus. So as Paul is writing to the, the Ephesus church, which is the Ephesians, they are divided. If you look at how, how, how are they divided, we have a, I have a picture here of the temple courts. The temple courts show us this is Herod's temple, New Testament. This is, um, this is actually still Old Testament, but New Testament, we're, we're, we're in a place where the temples have expanded beyond, beyond Moses' tabernacle, right? So it's, it, they're solid structures now. If you look at the temple, in the middle, there is the Holy of Holies. That's this tall structure inside the middle. That's where only the high priest is allowed to go in. And there was a ritual that they needed to go through to even enter into the holies of holies. And then just outside of that holy of holies, they, that's where the priests are. So they're, they're, there's almost this hierarchy of the more spiritual towards the, and, the, and, and kind of branches out. And so after the priests are the Jewish or the men. And then after the courts of men, there's the courts of women. And then Outside of that little box, so not the big wall, but the inside box, outside of that is the court of Gentiles. And so we see that there is all these divisions, all these walls, and what happened in, in doing so is it created a class system within the church. It created a class system of uh, you're, you're Jewish, I'm Gentile, we don't... They're, they're, we're chosen, you're not, right? And so the church is struggling with this aspect and they're struggling in this place of, we have Jesus who just died on the cross, the first church has already started, churches are thriving, people are coming into faith. People are coming into knowing who Jesus is as my personal savior and now I want to live out this faith and be reconciled to my God. I want to, I, I understand what salvation is, but there's still a division within the church. The division is the chosen versus the non-chosen ones. And we could see that, that the, there are actual physical walls of separation within, within the church. And oftentimes, the physical represents 
the heart of the spiritual. And so Paul is coming in, and now he's speaking to address this, because what's happening here is the Gentiles are saying, you know what, we could have this faith thing, and maybe we could just kind of keep this faith thing and ignore what the traditions are, ignore what what the Jewish people are putting into us, because in reality, you're, you're, you're treated as a second-class citizen. You're not getting full access to, to who God is because of the fact that there's this division that's happening. Whereas the, 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 the Jews are looking at it, it's like, now we have all these Gentiles that are coming into faith and coming into our temple. How do we actually address them? How, they're not the chosen one, we are. It's so funny because we actually see that still happening today, even though God has come and said, no, this is not how things are. But as Christians, oftentimes we look at non-Christians and say, and look down towards those that are not saved. This is the one reason why people struggle to come into church. It's because non-Christians look at the church and they see the people and say, because I'm not like them, I cannot, therefore I cannot enter into that building and enter into that place of worship. And oftentimes, that feeling that non-Christians have isn't because they see that separation. It's because that separation was put there by Christians. That Christians oftentimes see themselves as, well, we're saved, and those are sinners. And so therefore, we are better than they are. Do you agree with that? That's the reality of what the church looks like today. So what Paul then comes in, and he's saying this is the wrong attitude to have. This is not what Jesus came to die for. This is not what the church is supposed to look like, and this is not how we are supposed to do things. Paul says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So those that were not chosen are now brought near to by the blood of Christ for himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing walls of hostility. So what Paul is saying is like, we have these walls that are built in the temple And these walls are there to separate, but what Jesus has done on the cross is he's tearing down all of those walls and bringing equality into into all places so that whether you're a Jew or Gentile, you have the exact same access to God. And that there are no more walls of separation. There's no courts of Gentile, courts of women, courts of men, courts of priests, and courts for the high priest. There's no more of that. Everybody has full access to who God is, because Jesus died for that. So this is what Paul is trying to to bring out here. Paul is pointing out to the group, saying that Jesus has broken, has broken what is systemic. You see, what, what was happening in the church was there was a systemic issue because of the history of what the Jewish nation was part of. And so Paul was coming in and saying, no, this is wrong. This is basically racism back in, that day, back in those days. That the Jewish saw their race as superior to everybody else. 
And not only that the Jews saw their, themselves as superior, that the system was there to benefit the Jews more than the Gentiles. We see that, that the Gentiles were on the outside. They didn't have the same rights. They didn't have the same access. They didn't have the same things. So what Paul is doing is he's bringing up a systemic issues from the set of beliefs that the Jews were set in and this problem dates way back to Abraham. It started back then already when the, the aspect of Ishmael and Hagar was banned from, from, from Abraham and was sent out. It started there. And what Paul is saying is like, we need to do something that is different. We need to repair what is broken. And Jesus came to repair a system that is broken so that reconciliation can happen. Here's the thing though, reconciliation, everybody wants. We just wanna bring the family together. That's what reconciliation is, right? Reconciliation is, is oftentimes we think it's, it's about making things right. That's actually not reconciliation is. Reconciliation is just bringing things back together. To make things right is called justice, okay? Justice is to take what is broken and, what, and, and to fix what is broken. That's what justice is. So in order for reconciliation to happen, justice needs to happen. So what was the justice that was paid for reconciliation to happen? Paul says justice happened in the person of Jesus. Jesus came and he died for what was broken. What is broken is the sin of man. That's what's broken. What breaks our relationship from God is our sin. It's not anything else but our sin. And what Jesus has come to do is he's come to reconcile, well, not, reconcile us back to God by being the sacrificial lamb to die for those sins. He died for those things, making what was broken right again, so therefore reconciliation could actually happen. This is what God wants us to do. When we look at reconciliation, we need to look at it almost in a, in a place of marriage. Marriage is when a man and a woman come together and both the man and the woman leave their families and come to form a new family, right? That's what marriage is. Marriage is not, I'm the groom, you're the bride. When we get married, the bride joins the groom's family. That's not what it's about. Nor is it vice versa, I'm the bride, you're the groom. When we get married, you join the bride's family. That's not what it's about. This is biblical when God says, when two people come together in marriage, they leave their families to cleave onto what? Each other to form something new. That's what reconciliation is about. Jesus came to tear down the walls of hostility. God wants us to have a new family. The Jews' primary what we see here is that the Jewish primary new identity, okay, this is after Jesus has died, this is the new identity is in Christ. The Gentiles' primary new identity is in Christ. So we should then therefore, out of that, 
learn to love each other, learn to be with each other, stop fighting with each other, and figuring what it means to be a new family if, in fact, that Jesus came for the whole world. Jesus came down to tear down what separates us from God and what separates us from each other. So now that we are reconciled to God, we are there, then therefore called to do what? Last week we pre- I preached on this, that because Jesus died for us, we are then called to do the good works of his ministry. What does that good work look like? That good work says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, we are a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here, and this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is 1 Corinthians 5. Reconciliation means that Jesus came to bring peace and to grant us all access in one spirit to the Father, by abolishing the laws of the commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God and in one body through the cross, thereby killing, thereby killing the hostility. God wants us to take apart what we know and our identity and put our new identity into Christ and therefore making a new one. So our new identity is no longer that I'm Jewish or I'm Gentile, but that I am in Christ, and therefore this is a new family, a new way of doing things. And this is actually where the term Christians come from. Christians, if you profess yourself as a Christian, it means that I am living in Christ that I am following who Christ is because I am in him and therefore I can do things through him. That the old is gone, the new has come. That's what it means. And then he goes on to say that your primary ministry now is about reconciliation because Jesus' primary ministry was about reconciliation. Jesus' Ministry was about reconciling you to God. By dying on the cross for your sins, he has reconciled you to God. Therefore, you have a relationship with him. And so, therefore, your ministry is to do the same thing. But not just be reconciled to God, but to be reconciled to each other. Now, there's a couple things that I want to point out here. Now that we're a new family, that the old things that we have that the old things that we, 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 we view ourselves, like, okay, you're like, John, I understand. New identity in Christ. But how do, I, how do I actually reconcile that with myself of who I am? The old things may explain us, okay? But they are no longer what defines us. They explain who we are, but they don't define who we are. That our previous primary identity that... For myself, I'm Canadian, I am Chinese, I have my cultures, my family values, my tradition, but none of that defines me. It may explain my idiosyncrasies, it may explain all the things that I may hold onto, but my primary new identity is in Christ. 
Does that make sense? And what happens is that, that when we find that our new primary identity in Christ, we start to take on more and more of who God created us to be. That we, the more we see Christ every day, the more we become more like him and the closer we become to discovering who we are, our purpose, our talents, and our character. So oftentimes we struggle to find ourselves in the process, and in that process of finding ourselves, we start to build up walls because we start to see the hostile things that are either in us or coming towards us. The more walls we put up to protect ourselves, then the less we can see what Jesus came to do, which is to tear down these walls and these walls of identity that, of hostility that we have formed into our identity. The barriers that we put up causes us to not see things the way that Jesus sees things and that we are walking in our own way and not his way. Jesus' purpose of peace is to tear down these walls and remove the barriers that separate us and restore us to reconcile relationship. That is the primary focus of what Jesus' ministry is and what the church's ministry is about. Jesus came to preach peace to all who were far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to one spirit of the Father. This is, this is why we do the things that we do. This is the purpose, is because we all have the same access to God, the same access to his spirit, the same access to all the blessings that he wants to grant to us. Jesus died and said, all that I have, all that I am is now given to you. This is my blessing poured out to you that is beyond your understanding. And so therefore, your position as my son, as my daughter, is to find yourself in me. And when you find yourself in me, you're going to find more of who you are. There's a wholeness that comes when we start looking at our lives through the lens of Jesus Christ instead of trying to look through the lens of our political party, our affiliations, our identity, our, our cultural identity, our national identity. Once we start looking at things through Jesus Christ and through those lens, all of a sudden, all of the other things start to fade away. And what we have and what we end up doing is we start to come into the ministry of reconciliation. And as we finish off here, it says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You're no longer outcasted. You're no longer in the courts of Gentile. You're no longer something that does not belong. There is no more class system. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and the member of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for, the, for God by the Spirit. What it's saying here is that I am now tearing down the, the walls of the temple. The temple does not need to exist for you to come into worship now. That you are now God's temple. That you, physical, your physical body, you, yourselves, your spiritual, your everything about you are now part of that temple of God. And it is built on the cornerstone. Now, for those that don't actually understand what a cornerstone, back in the day, architectural, when they built, when they built foundations, they always start off with a cornerstone. 
and that cornerstone aligns the rest of the building. So if that cornerstone is a bad cornerstone, the rest of the building, the structure of it actually fails. So that cornerstone is actually the most important part of that building. So they always lay down the cornerstone and build everything off of that cornerstone. And he's saying that Jesus is the cornerstone. He is your foundation. This is, this is the core of who you are. And then as members of the church, as members of, of this big club that we call Christianity, I don't think club is the right word, and that may backfire on me a little bit here. But this thing that we call the church is now you that you are part of his church and that your value in that is you are part of the temple that is built off of the cornerstone of Jesus. And that you are no longer outsiders and that every single one of us is equal. That's what Paul is saying. He's come here to address a systemic problem and he's saying, No, it's not the way the Jews are doing things. It's not the way that the Gentiles are doing things. It is a new thing, and this new thing is what we call the church. The new thing is what we call Christianity. For us to fix something, we always need to start with something new. If there is a systemic problem, in order to battle the systemic problem isn't to create new laws and new things to fight those things, but it's actually to dismantle what was there and create something new. I don't want to go into the politics of this because this can be very divisive. But the church is here to bring reconciliation, to bring unity into places. And so as part of the church, all of us as Christians, your job is to bring peace. God says, blessed are what? The peacemakers. Peacemakers bring reconciliation into the places that they go. So your job is to bring peace into the the places that have division. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a God that loves to bring people together. And Lord, as we look at how we live, we ask that you give us the wisdom and the discernment to bring reconciliation into places that you have placed us. Father God, that we look towards how you have reconciled us to God and that our job is to help others reconcile themselves to God, but also for us to bring peace into the places that need peace. So Father God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your ministry. We thank you for your encouragement for us today as your church. And we continue to look towards you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed. We'll see you guys next week.